0: you're listening to the jubilee montreal podcast jubilee montreal is a christian church located in downtown montreal that exists to share the good news as a spiritual family for holistic transformation for more information on jubilee montreal visit us online at www.jblmontreal.com The passage comes from Luke 12, um, 13 to 21. Starting at verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? Then he said to them, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Don't worry about it. For the pagan world runs after such things, and your father knows that you need them. But seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moths destroy. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Amen.
1: Okay, so this, uh, these are excerpts, really, of a very long passage of Scripture. Um, and you can at home take this and read the whole thing so that you get the full story and and probably um, it will go in different places in your heart too but I just want to focus, I wanted to focus on these uh, few verses. Uh, Are they on the screen? Next, oh. Yeah, there they are. So they'll be on the screen the whole time. You can refer to them, or you can, uh, if you have your Bible with you on your phone, or if you need a Bible, actually, there's a paper copy on, over there on the table. Um, yeah, so this is what we're going to focus on today. So as Michael said, as followers, followers of Jesus, we're moving from a mentality or perspective of scarcity to one of abundance. And according to the story of God we, that we read in the Bible, humanity began and will finish its days in the kingdom of God, also referred to as heaven. Sometimes in the different places, it's kind of talked about in different ways, but it's, it's the same thing. Um, this place or this state is described as the perfect place where God dwells with its creation in perfect harmony. It also, it's also referred to as eternal life, because the kingdom of God is not just about the place being squeaky clean and perfect, and you know, um, OCD heaven for people. (laughs) But uh, it's, it's really about the fact that God, who is perfect love, reigns. So only pure love exists in this place. Nothing else, nothing that is contrary to love can exist. It's what God created in the beginning, and what those who acknowledge Jesus as king will get to experience when Jesus returns. That's the story of the Bible. If you read it from beginning to end, or if you just read the bookends, you'll you'll see that this is what it's about. It's about a God who's a king, who's the God of the world, created something beautiful and perfect, and including us in it. And um, it kind of got ruined in the middle, and we are kind of in that time where, you know, we don't experience heaven. But in the end, when Jesus returns, there, the kingdom gets completely restored, and we're not in that in between place where we're now. We kind of like experience a little bit of heaven, a lot of what's not heaven, a lot of the world. Um, so let's back, uh, that's just to give you a background, just to start thinking about. Is God a God of abundance or a God of scarcity? Why do we talk about making this move? is because we're moving towards more, um, becoming more like Jesus. Um, and Jesus was uh, our um, earthly um, image of God. So let's go back to the passage. Um, someone, uh, so someone in the crowd said to him, "Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me." Jesus replied man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter uh, uh, between you then he said to them watch out be on your guard against all kinds of greed life does not consist in an abundance of possessions this man seems to be asking like some for something that seems fair seems like him and his brother they're one or two of the parents passed away and there's an inheritance and one of the brothers just wants to have it all for himself or something like that is happening. It seems really like a fair request, right? Hey, can you tell him to share? Jesus, you're a good man. You talk about love and loving your brother as yourself, loving your neighbor as yourself. Why don't you tell him to share? Why wouldn't Jesus just reply by granting his request? Like, yeah, come on, simple, easy, like... Share with your brother. Jesus kind of ignores the man's problem and gives him all a new problem. He says, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist of an abundance of possessions. This doesn't mean that Jesus didn't care about justice being done in this situation, in this scenario. Uh, it, it, didn't, it means that Jesus just didn't care about money or possessions as much. And, and, and he knew that we shouldn't either, or this man shouldn't either uh, make it his primary cons- concern um, how much money or possessions, how much inheritance he got. Instead um, of caring for a material thing, Jesus told them to care for their hearts and to not let greed in. So let's just have a word on greed. Greed sounds like a terrible thing. It's like the thing that only plagues, uh, I don't know, CEOs of top corporations, right? Um, They're affected by it. It's very easy to say that they're greedy people. They're making 129 times what an average Canadian makes. That seems pretty greedy to me. That's not necessary. Um, So why why would Jesus be talking about greed with common people and the people that used to hang out with him then certainly none of us here with average or below average incomes need to hear anything about greed Um, especially not students you guys don't even have any income so i'm sure you don't need to hear a word about greed Um, actually we all need to hear jesus warning uh, about uh, against greed greed is defined in a couple places as an intense and selfish desire for something especially wealth, power, or food. You could be greedy for food. (sighs) Nobody knows how that feels. A selfish and excessive desire for more of something than is needed. That's when it begins to feel like all of us could stand to think a little deeper about um, just watching out for greed. It's something that you have to watch out for because it's so easy for it to start stirring up in our hearts or to move to for it to be the motivation of our hearts so you could be motivated by greed when you have lots of something but you could also be motivated by greed when you have none of it that was a hard realization for me like you could have no money i grew up on almost no money i mean more than most a lot of people but i grew up with a lot of need and i felt like well no, i could not be greedy right but actually, it's about, it's about the, the, the desire and how intense it is and what, is it what drives you. So you could very well be greedy without having it. You could also feel greed for other things like, I don't know, fame, knowledge, pleasure, or fun. What about even relationships or purpose? It's about whether, like, what is the intensity that you feel this desire? Like, do you, need, do you want more than what you need? And it begins to kind of, it's kind of hard, because who defines how much you need of something? But as always, none of these things are bad things. And it's only really greed when we desire them more than the amount that we need. But greed is really an obsession. Isaiah 56, 11 tells us that greed is never satisfied. That's why you could have nothing and be greedy, or you can have lots and it's just never enough you're never satisfied it feels it feels like we never have enough it's like like any addiction it drives you to consume something that promises to make you feel good and it does make you feel good for a moment and when the moment's over you are more empty empty than before you even started so you need next time you need a higher dose you can see it right away because who who defines what is what is needed right um even we can kind of switch our definition of what need is. Um, but when, when someone's poor, their needs are, I just need food and I need clothing. Like you saw it um, with the examples of Daniel and Elizabeth. Like they're concerned for where they're going to find food, where they're going to take a nap and sleep. Where are they going to find clothes? Because they have nothing. So for them, even a place that's not even a permanent home for them, they don't live in this shelter. They just go there during the day, not even at night. And for them, losing this is huge. So their concern is not anything beyond the basic needs. And that's what we're like when we're poor. We just need the basic needs. We don't even dare to think of or ask for anything more. But then if we get those needs resolved, like kind of like all of us here probably have the needs of food and, and shelter and clothing solved for, our, for us, right? Through Whether God is providing through a job or through our parents or whatever it is. Most of us here in this room are there to say we don't have to worry really we can even, if we don't have money, we can probably go to someone we know and they'll give us money or um, or food. And otherwise, we use a credit card. <laughs> and nowadays, credit is really useful. And, you know, we won't really go uh, in need of food for a long time. But once that's resolved, then we start greeting for other things. And our needs are all of a sudden... Um, all of a sudden begin to change, and we don't, our space begins to feel really small, so we need a bigger place. Our, Our basic beans and rice is all of a sudden not enough, and so we need more expensive food, and our clothes look too raggedy, so we need better things, and it's, it just go on and on, right? Again, not that we all have to, I'm not saying that Jesus is saying to just like um, not care about how you look or what kind of food you eat like this. But we should keep these things in perspective. They're blessings and they're, a, they're the extra of the kingdom, not the necessities. So when we are leaving from a perspective of scarcity, we will do all we can to protect what we have or what we're trying to get. Because you could also, right, be going for what you don't have yet. Um, this is why, this is because we believe that if we lose them, that will be it. Or how about this one. If someone else gets what we want or need, then we, don't, we won't get our fill. So Sometimes greed starts to look like jealousy or envy or lust. In scarcity, losing something is always a loss. When we live from a perspective of scarcity, we live independently, trusting that we'll have to work and sweat for everything that we will get. Money, recognition, relationships. This obviously and naturally, it makes it very difficult to share, to give, and to lose generously. The opposite of greed is generosity. True generosity is evidence of a perspective of abundance, right? and greed is a evidence of a perspective of scarcity. When we talk an ab- about an abundance mentality, we're not talking about what some people teach, and maybe you've heard before, I certainly did, when I was growing up, and it caused a lot of confusion. Um, That God desires to bless you with ever-increasing amounts of wealth and possessions. And you just have to, so your job is just tap into that somehow. Pray the right prayers, say the right thing, claim the right thing. Um, Right, but it's up to what you do, whether you receive it or not. So that's not what we're talking about here today. Even our world is slowly coming to terms with the fact that ever-increasing amounts of wealth and possessions do not increase happiness nor quality of life. God has known that for a long time. Which is probably why he's telling him to not worry about whether he gets his fair share of the inheritance or not. When we talk about having an abundance mentality, we're talking about living dependently on God, who is your Father and who owns everything. From the perspective of abundance, everything you have is a gift from God. So you can share, give, or lose anything because your father knows what you need before you ask him. So let's go back to the story. Jesus told them to watch out for greed, told them a parable. What you don't see here, what I kind of cut out, that you can read on your time, own time, is uh, Jesus telling them a parable uh, about a man who was a greedy man and who at the end, in the end died alone without ever enjoying what he thought his greed would reward him with. Jesus showed them that um, through the parable that the man's uh, that greedy man's pursuit was useless and concluding by telling them to be rich toward god instead meaning rich in love toward god which we know jesus also taught is equal to being rich in love towards others but how did jesus get them to change how did jesus get them um to move from a perspective of scar- scarcity uh, or from greed to generosity, or from scarcity to abundance. What Jesus did, did next uh, was not give them a teaching on generosity, which is surprising, And sometimes in the church we kind of want to do that. Oh, we're not giving enough, we're, uh, um, we're feeling like people are really, I don't know, We need, we need... To make our budget or we need uh, to give to the open door or we want to give to this other thing and there's not enough what do we do let's teach on generosity I was really surprised I have been a leader in this church for a while and actually what Jesus did wasn't wasn't that he didn't just you know give them a Sermon on the Mount on generosity he didn't try to even get them free from greed by telling them to work hard at being generous Instead, he said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. And so he gave them a whole teaching on worry. And so he goes on, again, the part that's not there is the part where he tells them to consider the ravens, to consider the birds, and to consider the wildflowers and how they grow, the life, basically telling them to consider the life of nature Uh, things in nature that don't work for uh, a living and still live and are beautiful and that are sustained by God. And then he says, he compares our life to them and he says that we are much more valuable to God, our Father, than these beautiful things that we see in nature. See, our our relationship with God is very special. All of creation is beautiful and valuable. We're not discounting anything else, but God has only called one type of creation, one type of creature, their children, and that's us. So we are more, much more valuable to God. So will he not clothe us too? Will he not also give us food? So why did he talk to us about worry? He knew we could only be set free by trusting God, we can also not just try hard not to worry. It kind of gets you worrying about maybe other things. You start worrying about not worrying. But we can only really be set free by trusting God. And to help us trust God, He leads us to consider how God cares for how how God cares for and thinks of us and our needs. How often do you consider that? Do you consider? Do you know? how God thinks of you? What he thinks about when he thinks about you? Do you know that God is considerate of you? Do you know that God cares and knows your needs even before you ask? The problem, well, Jesus knew exactly what makes us turn selfish and keeps us from being generous. And the problem is that we don't trust God for two, one of two, two things about God. We don't trust either God's love for us or his power to deliver on his caring thoughts. The bigger problem is we think we can do a better job than God at taking care of ourselves. So we have two problems. Like I said, the first, we, we're not trusting God either. Either he's not, he doesn't love me, so he doesn't care about what I need, or if, oh, yeah, God loves me. He thinks really good thoughts of me. He loves me. He likes me the way I am. He knows I need food. He knows I need this. He knows I need to feel purposeful in the world. So he's got to have some calling for me and all these things. But he has no power to do what he uh, thinks about doing. I mean, look at the world. Why does he? Why hasn't he solved uh, world hunger then, if that's the case? Obviously, he's got to be not powerful. Uh, or I've gone through this situation in my life before. Where was he when this happened? Either he does, didn't think of me or he just couldn't take care of me. He didn't have enough power to deliver on his caring thoughts. But like I said, the bigger problem is that we think then, then we're better than God and we can't do that. We love ourselves better and we, we know better what we need. We know best about what we need. And we have more power and we, will, we know what we to do to get what we want, what we need. The, this is called deception. Not only are we deceived, but also we are blind to the reality that in the process of pursuing our delusion, we will cut ourselves off from the only one who can really deliver what we really want and really need, which is to be loved and cared for. Deep, in, deep down inside, I don't believe anybody really wants to be self-sufficient. So how do we move from scarcity to abundance? Jesus tells us not to set our hearts on things, but instead to seek the kingdom of God. That's um, on verse 29 there. And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things. And your father knows that you need them. But seek instead, seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. And then he says, do not, he continues on the same theme, do not, he's already told him, do not worry, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. What else could we want if God has given us his kingdom? If we are part of his flock, then we have the kingdom. The kingdom is ours. Thanks to Jesus. Like, this is really good news. And maybe sometimes we don't move. It doesn't move us to, think, to, to hear this good news. Because maybe it's a little bit, okay, let's give us the benefit of the doubt. We don't really know what he means by the kingdom. What does that mean that the kingdom is ours? And what is, how do I feel that? Like, how, what should I be feeling when I hear this? Do you know what that means? Let me ask you, do you know what is the kingdom of God? The Bible uses other words for the kingdom, like true life, eternal life, and heaven. What do you think about when you hear that? In the kingdom of God, there is no death, only life. Let's just try to paint a picture. Very... uh, surfacey, but true and good and eternal life. In the kingdom of God, there is no brokenness, only wholeness because there is no sin, no selfishness, only love. In God's kingdom, everyone trusts God and his mission to save us has already been accomplished. So we are free to explore the world and life with God as he uh, first created it to be, which is eternal, infinite, abundant, so making these seven movements means really moving away from, uh, from life as it is in this world as we experience it today and more toward life as it is in the kingdom of God. So what we're saying is that making these movements while we're here waiting for Jesus to come and make everything right again is that we can experience more of the kingdom of heaven. We can move away from the life, uh, the broken life of the world towards the perfect life of the kingdom of God. Basically... Let me put it this way. What this world is abundant in, God's kingdom is scars in. And what this world is scars scars in, God's kingdom is abundant in. In this kingdom, we see death everywhere. Physical death, but also spiritual death. We're numb. People are numb. We go around. like We get numb. We heard a good sermon on that last week. (laughs) Uh But... uh, What other things do you see in the world that are abundant? We see greed, we see lack of all kinds of um, even needs, right? The basic needs, we see that in the the kingdom, kingdom of God that doesn't exist. Everyone is provided for. And so i something else that I was thinking about that hasn't have anything to do with something tangible, but I, I, see, I see it's very abundant in the world these days and it's opinions. Everyone has an opinion and now everyone has a platform to share it. So you get lots of opinions all the time, even when you're not asking for them. You kind of just have to tune it out and it's really hard to do that. But everyone's got their own wisdom and their own opinions it's, there's a lot of information out there, and there's one thing to get facts, but now facts are opinions, and, like, you don't never know what's true. I am really, I was really relieved to think that in God's kingdom, there's one truth, and we should be even more relieved that we get access to that now. So, I was, it's it's kind of good, like, I know it's kind of an aside, but isn't it nice to know that in a world that is full of opinion, and yeah, and where truth is scarce these days, guys. Truth is really scarce to get. It's really hard to get and, and it's hard, hard to find. But what, isn't it good news that Jesus is the truth, the way in the life, and we can access truth now? Just thought I'd share that. The kingdom of God is life at its best. Let's make it really simple. What Jesus is saying is that there is better treasure and better life for everyone who chooses it. It's not that he wants to just get us to lose for and like be, you know, lose for the sake of losing. It's that like he's saying there is better treasure than your inheritance. There is better treasure than what you're, you're uh, pursuing. And the better treasure like it says at the end to provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail. where where it will not be stolen from from you, not not be destroyed. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So really the choice is what kind of treasure do you want? Do you want a treasure that is permanent? Or do you want a treasure that will pass away, that can be destroyed? Like the the man in the uh, parable that Jesus shared he built up treasure for himself, and he never enjoyed it. It just passed away. He never took it with him. If you want transcendent treasure that you get to enjoy for the eternity of your life, then you should be looking at uh, storing treasure in heaven. He made this, uh, Jesus made this invitation over and over. As we read the Gospels, you see examples like the woman at the well. He said, you're looking for water. I have water that when you taste it, you will never run out. In fact, it will produce, it will make you produce water inside. Like there will be this, the water will be running inside of you. You will never thirst again. He made the same invitation to the disciples. Some of those of them who were uh, fishermen, what was the invitation to them? Come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I know this doesn't look like treasure, but he's making an invitation. He always makes an invitation from something lesser to something better. They thought they had a purpose by being fi- fishermen, and there's no shame in that. It's not not that he's about a bad job or anything, but he had an even better job of making them fishers of men. Uh, he told the rich, rich young ruler, "Sell your possessions and store treasure in heaven, so you'll get what you choose to set your heart on." I want you to listen to this really well because what he keeps saying is don't set your heart in this and instead he's getting them to set their heart on the kingdom because in the end he says for where your treasure is there your heart will be also or if you reverse it where your heart is your treasure will be right so what where do you want to put your heart Will you choose the life, the, the life that Jesus offers or the life you think you can get for yourself? I hope you want to choose the life Jesus offers, the life of true abundance. You know what I think is in the way of us choosing that is that we, like with a lot of good things that we don't choose, like, I don't know, exercising more often or um, better coffee or better chocolate, whatever your thing is, we sometimes don't choose the better thing because we don't know the better option. If you've ever tasted good quality chocolate, for example, maybe chocolate is not your thing, but go with this, okay? But if you've ever tasted good quality chocolate, if you've never tasted it, sorry, you're fine with what you find at the dollar store. Sorry. And that's that's good. (laughs) Right? But come on, it's not good quality chocolate. But if you taste really good chocolate, and it's not about how much it costs, like forget it. God doesn't, you know, in the kingdom of God, things don't cost the same thing that we put... value they don't have the same value that they we give them here this is so artificial prices are artificial guys we somebody came up with that price and it, there's a huge markup on things so like it doesn't really cost what it's supposed to cost blah 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 it does not don't think about price like i'm not saying that we should all get out of here and you know opt for the expensive things of life that's already okay. if you listen to the whole thing you'll you'll hear that i'm not saying that uh, but if you if you taste really good chocolate from then on, everything else kind of tastes like, ugh. Oh. You, you will only want the good kind from then on, right? Hopefully. So how about you? Can you recognize true life? Have you, have you seen and tasted of the life of, and love of God yet? Maybe you haven't. Or maybe you have, but it's been a long time. And maybe you, have you forgotten what true life looks and tastes like? I suggest to you that this is exactly why Jesus told them to seek the kingdom. Because we need to remember that over and over. Because the more... We waste, we taste of the, the, the more we taste of the kingdom, the more of it we'll want. But the more we spend our time tasting of other lesser things, that's what we'll want too. Your taste buds kind of develop as you taste things, right? And they get used to something and like, If you're fine with whatever crappy thing it is, then you're never going to hunger for the good, true thing. It's like pure water. You can taste your tap water, and it's fine, it satisfies, but if you have really pure water from a spring, you're like, ah, all of a sudden, there's a point of comparison. But we have to keep drinking. also offered to you that he told them to give to the poor because this is where they will find the kingdom kingdom jesus knew he directed them to where it would be easiest to find the kingdom of god jesus why do i say that is because jesus spent um so jesus came on earth right and the first thing he said to start his uh, ministry was uh, i am anointed to preach the good news to the poor and freedom to the captives. This is who his ministry was directed to. Now, we would all do well to identify as the poor instead of counting ourselves out, because then we don't receive the kingdom. But the poor just meant the people on the outside, people who uh, were rejected by society, who were neglected, who nobody thought about for whatever reasons. Yeah, so and, and Jesus did that. He did what he said he came to do. He spent most, most of his time with the poor and uh, said he had been sent by God to proclaim good news to the poor, right? So if, if when we follow Jesus, we find the kingdom, where did Jesus go? That's where we'll find the kingdom to, with the poor. So if you need more convincing, I'll give you more examples of the people who exhibited evidence of really getting who Jesus was and choosing the life he offered. By the way, not everyone who encountered Jesus chose to follow him. Not everyone who followed Jesus really saw or accepted that Jesus was the son of God. Not everyone believed uh, and chose uh, to follow his way, which he said was the way to true life. So some people will and did have and will continue to choose to go their own way, and that's a sad reality. Um, Jesus weeps. That is a reality, though. We have it is our choice. Uh, but I'll, so I'll give you more examples of uh, people who did see through the reality of the world and started to tap into really the kingdom start to live in the reality of the kingdom, despite of their present circumstances. For example, uh, the poor widow who gave all she had and was commended by Jesus. So that's a story you can look up in the Bible where Jesus is at the temple and everyone, including rich people, are coming um, to the temple. And the costume was to give their offering, and uh, to put it down. And he was kind of just there sitting, watching what people were doing, how much are people giving. For some reason, he was drawn to that, t- that day. And his disciples were with him as always. And so he's—he tells—he turns around and tells. Uh, there's a widow that comes after all the rich people come and give lots, you know, big amounts. The rich widow comes in and tr- throws in a, like what could be a couple cents. A poor widow, sorry. What do you say? Sorry, the poor widow. Yes, she's richest. Thank you. You get what I mean. <laughs> Uh, the poor widow just throws in a couple cents. Like it, it just seems like nothing compared to the big gifts that other people are, are giving. And Jesus makes a point to stop and commend her on be above all other people who give in. Because it's not about how much you give, it's about the heart that you give with. And it's the fact that other people were giving out of their abundance, their, their physical and this worldly abundance, and this woman gave everything she had, she gave out of, the, out of her poverty. Um, so what the others were giving was kind of like the extra. They, were, they still had more at home to live on. She didn't have anything else to live on. She must have seen that what she was doing was actually an exchange. She was ex- exchanging something lesser for something better. That even if tomorrow she couldn't eat and, it, and she would die, that somehow losing her life was even not more important because she would have eternal life with God. And that's a good exchange, guys. Losing our temporary life and our temporary things for the gain, for gaining eternal life in the presence of God, eternally experiencing His love and His goodness and His riches, is, that's a good exchange. Mary Magdalene said so the same thing. Mary of Bethany, who poured out a year's wages at Jesus' feet, somehow the men around her and the other people around her like were, felt like she was wasting something that could be had, could have better uses. But Mary of Bethany poured out expensive perfume at the feet of Jesus, and to her that was worth it. She must have seen something else. Tax collector who chose to leave his corrupt ways and follow Jesus. I I think that these people had... We don't get their backstories. We don't get all of the explanations to everything in the Bible. But I am convinced that they must have tasted and seen of the kingdom of God in order to be moved to make such radical changes in their lives or or give in such um, generous ways. These are all actually, including the tax collector, because he was an outcast of Jewish society. uh, These are all the poor that Jesus refers to. There are other people who didn't follow Jesus, didn't maybe didn't have a taste, hadn't tasted of the kingdom yet, like the rich young ruler who decided to. Jesus, the, the challenge to him that Jesus made was give. Um, he wanted to be perfect, right? He wanted to follow Jesus fully, and he had perfectly followed the law. And um, he asked Jesus, "Do is there anything else I can do to to be to have this life?" And and Jesus said, "Yeah." Go sell all of your possessions and give the money to the poor. And he did not do it. He went away sad because he had so much that he couldn't think of giving that up. For him, losing was a simple loss. There was nothing else he was gaining. Whereas for these others who did follow Jesus, it wasn't losing, it was actually gaining even though it looked like losing. So we must taste and see, taste of the kingdom, taste of true life. Hmm. How do you go about tasting something better? If you've forgotten what the kingdom looks like or tastes like, if it's been a while that you don't What I want to get you to try and ask God today is that he would give you a taste of his kingdom again. That he would give you a taste and a glimpse of his kingdom, of true life, and everything that life means for him. It's it's true love. Do you recognize true love when you're in in his presence or when you're not in the presence of true love? Can you tell that it's not true love? And that and because you remember inside what true love is really like, so that you can what's going to make us able to reject the lesser thing is knowing the good thing. We have an opportunity today to seek the kingdom it's the opportunity that John invited us to, and our partners at the open door have invited us to it's to seek the kingdom, the kingdom that is among the poor, where Jesus is, where He came to um, break His kingdom forward. I hope you join us, because we'll, two things will be happening. I think when when we do things like what we do, what we're about to do later today. I hope you join us, because one thing is going to happen is that as we come. People who don't even know them at all but want to support them they will feel and have a taste of what the kingdom of god is but we will also because wherever the kingdom is everyone feels it whether you know it you know we can put two and two together yet or not you are feeling the kingdom of god we know it, hopefully, right? If, we're, if we've said, yes, Jesus, I'm following you. If we're part of the flock, then at one point we must have felt true love and we have had a little taste of the kingdom. But those who have never, well, will for the first time, maybe some people for the first time, maybe other, actually it'll, I believe all of us have had a taste of the kingdom because God is really good and really gracious and he's good unto all, not just his children, the meaning like those who are part of the kingdom who have already chosen to be part of the kingdom. But maybe it'll remind them of goodness that they have felt before, you know, places in their lives where they had a break from the world and they had a little of the true love and true life and true, uh, true generosity. So I just want to end uh, by praying. Because if this is what changes us guys, if this is if, if having a taste of the kingdom of God and his love and his, um, his goodness is what's really going to help us make the choice to um yeah, to make, choose him. And it's really what's gonna move us from a mentality of scarcity of where we don't have anything or we don't have enough of something uh, and where it's gonna help us really see that we do have everything because God is our father and he's the owner of everything. And it, when it doesn't matter anymore to us whether we have everything we want on the, or even, we will, I want us to get to the point where it doesn't matter what we get in this world basically. It does not matter. It is not where because it's not where our heart is. It matters what we get in His kingdom, and it for the rest of eternity. What does it look like? I'll leave for that to work out with God. He can tell you what He has in mind for you and what you need, what He uh, what yeah what He wants to give you. But trust me, He always wants to give you something good. So even when he asks us to give something up, he wants to give us something good. Thank you for listening to the Jubilee Montreal podcast.
0: For more information on Jubilee Montreal, visit us online at
1: org.